couple of months ago, a, um, a professional online poker player by the name of Benjamin Sprague was uh, playing a poker game with some people online. And uh, if you know, uh, I think about poker, you know, or Texas Hold'em anyway, that you have five cards in front of you on the table that everybody gets to use, and then you each have two in your hand. And then you take the five cards out of those seven that creates the best hand for you, and that's what you're playing for. And so there was only one opponent left in the game, and it was a massive pot in the middle, 1.7 million chips. I don't know what that was worth in money, but there was a lot of chips out there. And what was on the table is right here. King, king, seven, four, three. Now, if you're playing that hand, you might think, well, there's a possible spade flush on the table. Uh, There's a possible straight there. If the other guy has uh, five, six, you got three, four, five, six, seven. What if he has a king? This is what Benjamin was holding. King three. Flip back to the previous slide. So he's got a full house. Anybody that plays poker and has a full house is like, oh, this is so good. I'm in the money. Full house is a tough hand to beat. And so as Benjamin looked at this, I, he's got a king. He, there are two kings on the table. He's got two threes. What are the chances anybody could beat him? Or how could they beat him? Well, there's one more king out in the deck. Maybe he has a king. Um, flush isn't going to beat him. The straight isn't going to beat him. Uh, can't be four of a kind because he, he has the other king. Could have another seven, or he could have another four, and then it'd be kings over fours, kings over seven. That's all that could beat him. 52 cards in a deck. What are the chances? What are the chances? Now, if you've ever played poker, you know the most terrifying and exhilarating time possible in a poker game is when you're thinking about, should I or shouldn't I go all in? That's right. Because if you have that good of a hand, the other person doesn't know it. And you're like, I, even if I don't have the best hand, just bluffing like that will probably scare somebody off. Why? Because you are risking an enormous sum of money if you're playing for money. And so you're sitting there thinking, hmm, should I or shouldn't I? Should I or shouldn't I? And you finally decide. You go all in. I actually watched this video. There's about 15 seconds between when he does that and when the opponent shows his cards. Cards flip up. King. Four. It was so worth it. Maybe. If he'd have won, there's 1.7 million chips out there. When he put in, it was like almost 4 million uh, chip pot all of a sudden. But you go from... Here to here. And every gambler wrestles with whether or not the prize is really worth paying the price. If you read the New Testament, you find a whole bunch of all-in kind of language. In a couple of weeks, we're going to look at the words where Jesus said, if, unless you hate your mother and father, your husband, uh, well, he didn't say that, but he meant it, husband and wife, Children, brother, sister, unless you hate them in comparison to me, you cannot be my disciple. 
If you want to keep your life, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life for my sake, you're going to keep it. Unless you're willing to give up everything and take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. I told the rich young ruler, go and sell everything you have, give the proceeds to the poor, and then come follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. All in kind of language. No reserve. Nothing held back. I don't know about you. When I came to Christ, I didn't get that. I knew that I was getting a ticket out of hell and into heaven, and I understood a few other things. But, man, that Jesus was looking at me saying, Brother, everything, I consider you to put everything on the line. This is an even exchange. I put it all on the line for you. You put it all on the line for me. That was a lot of years coming for me. I don't want to think about that big picture so much today as the small picture because my guess is at least some of you are in the throes right now. Some of you who know Christ are in the throes right now of trying to make a decision where it's not a decision about what you should or should not do. You know exactly what you should do. You know exactly what God wants you to do. What you're wrestling with is whether or not you're willing to pay the price for that price. And I want you to listen to a couple of words of Jesus and his thinking about what God was asking him to do as you kind of reflect on uh, your own experience this morning. Luke 13, beginning of verse 31. <clears throat> At that time, some Pharisees said to, said to Jesus, get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. And Jesus replied, you go tell that fox. I, every time I read this, I want to go, name calling. <laughs> you go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow and the third day. I will accomplish my purpose. Yes, today, tomorrow, next day, I must proceed on my way. For it wouldn't do for a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem. Stop there and ask God for his help. Father, um, as we uh, contemplate the resolve that Jesus had in the call that you had in his life, the mission that you had given to him, and think about nothing held back, no, no reserve, no retreat. I wonder how many of us would wrestle with in a particular arena at this time of our lives where we're wondering, do we back off? Do we move forward? What's that? What are the implications of that? Are the things that could be at stake, am I willing to lose in order to say yes to what I know he wants me to do? That'd be my prayer for myself, be my prayer for my brothers and sisters that by the Holy Spirit of God this morning, we'd wrestle and come to the right response, the right conclusion, and say, just, yeah, the price, the price that God has for us always worth the price. Now, we have a little voice that is <clears throat> trying to dissuade us of this. And by hook and by crook, the enemy 
very much wants us to once again say no. I'm just, I am not willing to go that far with Jesus. Silence him this morning. And we hear only the word of God and the spirit of God in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. So Jesus has some interesting folks asking him if he wants to live. If you want to live, this is what you should do. Now, I don't know if you thought about it when we read this, but did you find it curious that the Pharisees, who are always Jesus' opponents everywhere through the New Testament, are somehow concerned for him and his safety and his well-being? If you want to live, this is what you should do. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a little suspicious here. Because these are the guys, very early days of Jesus' ministry, first couple months, Mark chapter 3, verse 6 is saying, um, they're plotting. It says they're plotting with the Herodians. Followers of Herod, right? They're plotting with the Herodians to kill Jesus. Now, I don't think that between then and now, in a year and a half's time, two years' time, that they've suddenly changed their heart and their interest in Jesus' well-being. Another thing that makes me skeptical is because I'm not sure Herod really wanted to kill Jesus. He's a, he's a ruler. If he wanted to have him killed, he could. And in fact, a year later or so, when Jesus is in front of Pilate, Pilate figures out that, oh, this is, Jesus would really be Herod's jurisdiction. Herod's in town. And so he sends Jesus to Herod. And the Bible says that Herod was actually looking forward. He always wanted to meet him, hoping that he would get to see him do a miracle. Jesus came in front of him, didn't do a miracle. Herod got disappointed, started ridiculing, make fun of him, sent him back to Pilate. Perfect time to kill him if he wanted to. So I, I'm not totally convinced that these guys really cared all that much about Jesus and his future and even his survival. I think they just wanted him out of there. Just, 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 just go away. You're a problem. We need to get you gone somewhere. Now, as you have been hearing, I think that some of us are wrestling with these same kinds of tensions where maybe even somebody is t saying to us, they're telling us, um, this is in your best interest. They may or may not know what we know God wants us to do, but they're looking at it just from the outside and saying, I, if you want to be popular, keep being popular, then you don't want to do that. If, if you want to hold on to your job, then you don't want to do that. If, if, you, if you want to... If you want to keep a spot on the team, then I don't think you really want to do that. Or if you want to have enough money for yourself, you shouldn't do that. And we're always wrestling with, and people who care, ostensibly care about us are always wrestling with the same things, but from different vantage points, perhaps. Trying to tell us whether or not the prize is worth the, worth the price. Listen, brothers and sisters, there, is, there are always times when it is. Always times when it is. In just a couple of days, we're going to celebrate the anniversary of 76th anniversary of what was considered the greatest raid in World War II. The problem is since 1942, the problem is that, that the uh, Nazi naval boats are plying the Atlantic and not only sinking Allied naval vessels, but a lot of com commercial shipping as well. And of course, this was back in the day when products are being shipped primarily by sea, not by air. Hitler had overrun France, and because of that, they, in the southwest uh, portion of France, 
had a wonderful uh, inland port called St. Nazaire that gave their naval vessels an open, um, an open access to the Atlantic Ocean without being in spots where the British Navy ships were um, keeping a sharp eye out. In other words, you could get lost in the Atlantic like that. And as I said, not only naval vessels going down, but a lot of commercial shipping, uh, a lot of goods that were needed for the wars, uh, for the war, but also a lot of goods that were needed just to keep the lights on in Britain and elsewhere. And somebody in the British military came up with a brilliant idea. If we could shut down Port Nazaire, that would force all the German shipping back to the shores of Germany. And then when the ships would leave Germany, they would, they would be forced one of two directions, either uh, southwest, and they would be forced down to the narrow British Channel, which the British ships uh, kept an eye on in their artillery pieces. Or they could go northwest up between Britain and Iceland and eventually Greenland. And so they came up with this idea, they're going to reconvert an old destroyer, pack it full of explosives and drive it into St. Nazir and then blow it up. They had 611 men that tasked to do the job. They sent 16 landing crafts, upgun landing crafts with them, full of commandos. Uh, half of their commandos were on board the destroyer, and they headed to St. Nazaire. Somebody made a boo-boo. Somebody in the RAF decided that would be a great night to run a bombing run on St. Nazaire, and so the Nazis found out about it, and they were on uh, wide alert. And so eight miles out, as the British ships are making their way to the, to the port, the Nazis turn their spotlights on them and start pouring in fire. The helmsman driving the destroyer is killed. His replacement is injured. The whole crew is blinded by the spotlights. Twelve of the 16 landing craft were sunk before they ever uh, got to shore, and most of them were sunk with all men aboard. They rammed the destroyer home. It made it to the port, rammed it home. It, it, the impact was so severe, it drove its way 33 feet into the port. Stopped. The men jumped out of the ship. The men who had made it in landing craft are uh, trying to repel the uh, the five thousand troops that are stationed that are were stationed around there. And they were they had all come running. They're all firing. Things aren't going well at all. And Lieutenant Colonel Newman, who was the British uh, officer in charge of the commandos, got everybody around. And said, "This is this looks like most is lost." He gave him three orders. One, try to get back to England if you can. Fight your way through. Two, fight your way until you run out of ammunition. And three, um, surrender if your ammunition runs out, but I'd rather you didn't surrender at all. 611 men. Five made it back to England. Most were captured. Um, total of 227 men survived that mission. While the Germans were rounding up the British, um, the British men, one of the British, German officers said to the British, looked at this boat sitting over there in the port. He goes, that's going to take us six weeks tops to repair that. History tells us at exactly that moment when he said that, the ship blew up. 360 Germans killed. As I said, only five men got back to England. The ones who weren't killed remainder were all captured and Saint Nazaire never opened its doors again the entire duration of the war sometimes the prize 
is worth the price. And that's what exactly what Jesus had concluded when he came here to earth in the first place. There was a far greater, more important raid that was conducted in history than the raid on St. Nazaire, and that was the raid on mankind's sin. Jesus understood the risk and not only was willing to take it, but embraced it. And so he tells his critics, I don't care about the risk. I'm all in anyway. He says, I will, accomp- I will accomplish my purpose. I am undeterred from my mission. Jesus says this in John 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me not to do my own will. All in for the human race, dying for the sins of people like you and you and you and you and me. No reserve, no retreat. And Jesus looked around at people like you and me with all of our warts and all of our shortcomings and all of our flaws and all of our failures and all our disobedience. And he concluded that we, the prize, or worth the price. <clears throat> Here's the thing that's important for us. I, I think to re-remind ourselves of again and again. And that is that when Jesus hung on a cross, he did not just die so that I could have a glorious future in heaven. He died so that I might line up along with him to do the will of the Father in every aspect of my life and my world. That there are going to be 10,000 things in our lives that Jesus is going to look at us and say, I want you to do this, Keith. And we're going to be faced with a choice. Do I or don't I? Asking the question all over again, am I on Jesus' team or am I on my own team? Listen to this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. I apologize if you're here any length of time. You've heard me read this often, very often. And Jesus died for everyone so that those who receive his new life. Now let me back up again. Jesus Died for everyone. So that's seven and a half billion people on the planet. Not just Americans, not just Canadians, Venezuelans, Colombians, Angolans, Chinese, people in Zimbabwe, people in France, people in Sweden, people in Ethiopia, in Sudan, the people in Saudi Arabia, everybody. And the people not only who are here now, but the ones in the past and the ones in the future. He died for everyone, everybody. So that those who receive his new life, now he's funneled it down just to those who respond to him in faith. Will no longer live for whom? Whom? For themselves. No longer live for themselves. Christian, do you live for yourself? Do you live for Jesus? Or do you live for your 
Jesus Sundays and yourself Monday to Saturday or maybe Wednesday through Friday and like the rest of the days, these are mine. Okay, this is yours. And you can have these days, but I, I want these days. No longer ever live for themselves. Instead, they will live for whom? Christ. Live for Christ who died and was raised for them. These are the believing this and living this out through the power of the Holy Spirit, not our own efforts, is what makes people's eyes go, huh? When they see you act in accordance, not with your will, but with Jesus. In fact, and sometimes what you do is clearly not in your best interests. And they go, wow. For many years, our brother Ed Bear worked in the Lancaster prison week in, week out. And I, I used to say to him, I'm like, Ed, I, I don't know how you do what you do. I had enough horror stories to know that's not something I wanted to sign up for. And of course, Ed would acknowledge it wasn't him. It was the God working in him. But it's taking this seriously. I don't, I don't live for myself anymore. If I did, wash my hands of that. You forgive a husband who's cheated on you. And I can almost guarantee that if you are contemplating that, that you have people around you who care about you, who are telling you that's the biggest mistake you'll ever make in your life. He's just going to go out and cheat on you again. But if you sat with me, you would tell me, I, I know this is what God wants me to do. By the way, people who care about us don't necessarily always have the mind of Christ. You refuse to doctor the test results on the research because your boss wants to get that product to market faster, make more money. And she says it's, the, the, the results are they're not that far off. All you have to do is just monkey with the figures a little bit. All in. Now, when I play poker, uh-oh, there's going to come the emails. <laughs> when I play poker, I don't play much anymore. Betty doesn't like to play with me much anymore. She gets bored. When I play poker, I don't play for money. This is what I use. My kids got me this box years ago when my sons and I were into playing. Got me this box of chips. And so we, we play with chips, no, no cash, and uh, you, you get that full house or you get that uh, high flush and, and you're looking at what's on the table and like, I, I, I'm pretty sure I got this. And you like go, all in. That's right. Go all in. Win or lose, no big deal. I win. Big deal or chips. I lose. Big deal or chips. 
play for millions of dollars. Entirely different. You're playing for the glory of God. The advance of his kingdom. The testimony before a watching world. It's all different, isn't it? I've had the privilege of watching some of you over these last years. It's it's just been exhilarating to me to watch you moms and dads who have decided you want to create a home for a child that's not got a home. All the, those of you moms and dads who are fostering and adopting kids, to me, you're, you're the all-in kind of people. Some of you have had some very difficult, very difficult days with your, these kids. Prize is worth the price. We know that there are some marriages in this congregation that are hemorrhaging in some cases. And some of you are doing the hard work to try to not just stop the bleeding, but to repair them. That's all in. It'd be a lot easier just to wash your hands, go your way. All is the guy I talked to here a year and a half ago or so who was convinced that God was urging him to start a nonprofit. And um, I remember a lot of the details, but wasn't, wasn't sure how he was going to make ends meet, how he was going to eat and so forth, but convinced that God wanted him to do this. I, I don't know if he did it or not. That's all in kind of stuff. And it might be big, it might be small. Always we're wrestling with whether or not the prize is worth the price. I want to share a story with you in closing. Some of you know the people involved in this story. Every Wednesday morning, Jeff and Larissa get up their little girls out of bed, dress them, get them in the car early so that they can drive an hour to York and be there by 8 o'clock when Planned Parenthood opens. Because you see, Wednesday is abortion day at Planned Parenthood. And so for the next four hours, they'll stand out in the snow, the rain, the heat, the cold, and plead with moms coming in. Don't don't stuff out the life of your baby. Please don't. Please don't. I'm going to give you a video here of a little bit what it like, looks like from their vantage point as the women are arriving at the clinic. My wife and my friends and I are here to help you, to let you know that we'll help you. You don't have to go into this place that kills children. They brutally poison or tear apart little babies here. We want to help you so you don't have to go through that. You don't have to let them do that. We're currently working with other moms who have walked away from this place and we're helping them. We would love to hear what situation you're in, whatever you're in, we want to help you. But this man tells you not to talk to us because they lose money if you choose something that enhances your child's life instead of killing it. 
you know. What do you know, ma'am? God bless you. We hope you change your I just appreciate you guys are being peaceful. What do you know? Do you, do you know that this is what your baby looks like at six weeks? We're not here because we're angry or we're protesting. We're here because your baby deserves life. Now, it's two years since Jeff and Larissa have been going up there. Fifteen little children are living today as a result. This is one of them. Now, the really cool thing, and I, I promised Jeff and Larissa I would not deify them. The really cool thing to me is they're, they're not just saying, stop this. They're saying, how can we help you in whatever situation you find yourself in? This is a picture of one of the placards they hold. It's a, they're there with a couple of other people each week. We will adopt your baby. Jeff and Larissa have taken moms into their homes, left them live, live there while they go through their pregnancy. They'll find ways to make sure that that baby gets taken care of. And probably my favorite story is uh, the woman who was a single mom, right? They had four children. She's pregnant. And they eventually got the opportunity to talk to her, and she was torn. Do I eliminate this baby? Do I, do I keep, keep it? What, what do I do? Here I am, single mom with all these children ready. I don't know if I can add another one. She finally agreed to let them drive her down to a nearby pregnancy center where she had an ultrasound. And lo and behold, discovered there was not one baby in there but two When she saw the ultrasound, realized, I can't do this. I can't take the life of these two little children. Jeff and Larissa and others helped her. Toshida gave birth to those little boys. They were pretty early, about 27 weeks they arrived. They were in the NICU for quite some time. Came back, came to the home. And Jeff and Larissa went online. Some of you participated in this and said, can we help this dear mother who's now got a lot of kids to transport, has no vehicle, can we help her possibly get a minivan? And in 48 hours, in 48 hours, the people of God had raised over $10,000. And here's a picture of Tashida receiving the keys to her van. She didn't know this was coming. What if we gave you this van right now? Yeah. Phase up there. Uh, phase there now. That van's yours. Uh-uh. 105 people gave this to you. 105 people raised. Wow. Yes, this is yours. These are yours. This is yours. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all so much. Isn't that cool? This is the kind of things that can happen. We go all in for Jesus. Whatever you're in the midst of, you don't know if it's quite worth it. Remember that face. And the face.